Hi. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. Hey, everybody. Everything's fine. Hey, everything's fine. Relax. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. It is Thursday at noon in a brisk, chilly December 23rd, two days before Christmas. I'm always, as always, I'm joined by my man, Mark Henry Jr. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about Taproom. If you haven't had Taproom, make 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 better life decisions because Taproom is a great beer delivery service. Promo code FINE50, P-H-I-N-E, 50 gets you off $50 of a $100 or more delivery, beer delivery, uh, hard kombuchas, hard seltzers, hard beers, all of that. Everyone's going home to their neighborhood. Be the hero at the Christmas party. Get your mom, dad, say, hey, mom, dad, this is on me. I'm going to take care of the beer today. We got a special guest today. Some would call him the leader of the Minshew Mafia. Some would call him a J1 hater. Some would call him a Giants fan, maybe a Washington fan, maybe a Cowboys fan. The way he kind of, you know, just doesn't want to see a wonderful, talented quarterback like Jalen Hurts succeed. Uh, we have John Jansen on from Fox Philly Gambler. John, welcome. I do have a Cowboys Super Bowl ticket, by the way. So maybe, maybe I am a bit of a Cowboys fan. Maybe, 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 I, maybe, I, maybe this fan. is telling. Maybe this is everything you guys need to know about uh, mm-hmm. what I've been doing lately. Yeah, my father. I, I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> don't feel bad because because Kyle at one point of this season proclaimed that he didn't hate the Cowboys and that he was all in on the Washington football team with Heineke. So, so you know, wow, wow. This is a big Giants haters pod. We really oh, like sure. Washington. Okay, yeah, we're we're fine with that. Absolutely, yeah, this is a big yeah. Giants haters pod. I liked it. I thought they had a really a lot of good dudes. I thought the Cowboys had. You know, I liked Micah. I like Dak. Uh, I'm out on Zeke, but I like Demarcus Lawrence. I like uh, Tony Pollard's great behind Tony Zeke. Pollard. Yeah, Tony Pollard. He's yeah, great. Uh, I yeah. think uh, uh, Gallup's great. I love uh, the other first round draft pick they got. Uh, CD you missed you miss, like the, yeah, you miss the only guy I care about. I'm a CD guy. Yeah. There's another wide receiver that they paid for a first round pick for that we all made fun of, and he turned out to be awesome. I know, really- and we all made fun of them for drafting, you know, Michael Gallup and then CD Lamb and getting Amari Cooper, and all three of them turned out yeah. to be great. Like Cooper was a great trade, Gallup was a great pick in the second round, and CD Lamb's been amazing. Like I would argue, great. I would argue that the picks of Gallup and Lamb are so good that it kind of justifies killing the Cooper trade, even though Cooper has been good. Like, I feel like they could have, like, used those resources elsewhere on a defense. All right. We're not here to discuss. Yeah, this is a Cowboys yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Future. This is now a Cowboys <laughs> podcast. All right. Cowboys <laughs> are winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's, as long uh, as Mike yeah. McCarthy's there and Greg Zerline's <laughs> kicking extra points and field goals, they're not winning the Super Bowl, which is amazing. Mark, do you want to set the scene? Do you want me to go over how we got here? Because it's kind of funny because me and John have literally not said anything to each other about, like, his uh, disdain for Jalen Hurts and my love for Jalen Hurts, calling him my guy. You'll have time to uh, to tell me if I'm wrong on these, John. Don't you worry. <laughs> but I do, and I've told this to Mark off air, a lot of times, like, you will you will tweet during the Eagles game, and I will have a tweet written out ready to go back at you. But that's like my therapy. I get it out. I say, do I really want to do this mid-game? Do I really want to have to go back and forth with John, probably miss a couple plays? And then I just delete it. Or I put it in the draft chamber. 
to never be we're the seen same we're again. the same kind of person by the way yeah there are multiple is. people i do that with multiple not just i've seen like some of your tweets multiple people where i just want to say something and i just end up not doing it because like do i really want to end up fighting with like ruben frank about something like no exactly. i really i really don't care about See, any of it i need a little bit of that like i have nothing <laughs> holding me back from just sending tweet going after anyone like I, I only did it back once. Back. I did it once last game, but it was post game, and I Seth Joyner was just going on incoherently about something. I'm just like, you didn't Man. tag him though, you pussy. Oh, I I didn't even know he had a Twitter account. Wait, wait, wait does mean, he have a Twitter account? Yeah. You mean the guy? You mean the guy Michael Barkan wants to be the defensive coordinator? Wait, really? Oh, it was just like he just incoherently rambled about something. And I thought like this is that was the first time I watched it. I was at home. My roommate came back from the Eagles game and was watching the post game. I never watched the post game. I don't I don't really care about it at all. And I that was the first time I watched it. And it was bad. Like Seth Joyner just rambled about nothing. And it was uh, it was horrible. So I, I did send one tweet out. I didn't yeah. tag him, though. If I knew he had a Twitter account, I didn't know. He seems like an old school guy. He seems like somebody like, nah, no social media. It's nah, all football all the time. You know, he'll come back. He'll come back at you too. Really? He's got like a oh, lion man. as his profile picture. I mean, he's gonna lion. kick my ass then. Like he's, <laughs> he's still him. fucking jacked. That guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. He, yeah. Absolutely. He tear my head off. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'll, ahead, I'll I'll set the scene a, a little bit. What, what we have here is I think we have the two extremes uh, of the Jalen Hurts conversation. I like that I'm on the bottom of the – if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're seeing our, our our faces, I like that I'm on the bottom in the middle because that's where I feel like I am. I'd like to think that and, – and Sean and John did a, a phenomenal uh, segment on Jalen Hurts yesterday on Fox PHL, the gambler on Sean Brace's show um, that I listened to. And I, I feel similarly to Sean, but if you listen to just Sean and John's conversation, you probably walk away thinking Sean Brace is all in – on Jalen Hurts because he's going against someone who's arguing against him. But like he was saying, he's in the middle like I am. Kyle, when we do our podcast, if you're an Everything's Fine listener out there, you know that Kyle has accused me of being out on Jalen Hurts five to ten times throughout this season. So <laughs> I, I feel like, and I said this before we came on, I feel like the liberal that's like not all in on being like radical left, or I feel like the Republican who wasn't all in on Trump, like I feel like my own party hates me. And I don't know what party I'm on. I'm, I'm the Green Party. Yeah, I voted for Jill Stein. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, so, so we have the two extremes of, of the Jalen Hurts conversation. And um, Kyle on our podcast uh, often comes at uh, the people who aren't believing John Jansen. He never says John Jansen's name. So then I immediately am like, so you're talking to John Jansen. We've been so secretly <laughs> fighting for each other, like silently fighting for weeks now. Oh, we had, I love we, it. We've had no tweets exchanged. No tweets none, exchanged. But, none. but there has been two to three that I have deleted. And it's like, okay, it's it's not worth fighting on the weekend or on a Friday going into the weekend. And maybe that makes me a pussy. Maybe that makes me a guy who doesn't like confrontation because I actually do enjoy confrontation and chaos. I just don't like no, it, doing it, it over a media. Yeah, it's, to me, it's media. it's laziness because I don't feel like I just want to send one tweet and I don't want to do the whole back and forth. Yeah, like, I just want to send the one in my face. Yeah. Well, this is why I'm on the pod then, right? Yeah. Is that why you finally invited me after a year of not being on the pod? That you is were like, on the AFC NFC three hour pod that we did that we'll I, never ever do ever insane. again. That was insane. That was like the second time I've ever been on the pod. And oh. that, that was insane. I thought I was doing the normal like 20 to 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, no. three hours later, I'm like, yo, <laughs> I gotta go here. Hopefully this is not going to be three hours. It could end no. up being three hours. No, because we have no. Mark Zumoff after you. You're the lead in the oh, Mark that's Zumoff. Right, yeah. I don't <laughs> so know why you're leading hope, me into yeah, him. Well, hey, hey, yeah, I want to see idea. how I want to see how strong our listeners think we are. That's why I'm testing you okay. right now. The listeners don't me. skip right. ahead. Don't skip ahead. I'm fighting for our 
I'm is fighting no prize at the end of the segment. With there's me? never a prize. No. Okay. Um, so, John, this is the first time I've wait, ever... wait. There might be a prize. You might, you might have a rent stew Jalen Hurts shirt for him. Maybe. Okay. You know what? Yes. Yes. Don't make there me you wear go. that. We got to have some kind of bet that I would have to wear a Jalen Hurts. Uh, People are still buying this too. Are if they really? Playoffs. Yeah. Nice. He makes the yeah. playoffs. He makes the playoffs. I, I, think, I think John's I think, got Maybe that's where the jealousy came because you started making all that money with the damn T-shirt, and I didn't. I didn't think of it. It's a great stocking stuffer for anyone out there. John, anybody in your life that's a Jalen Hurts fan? Did you just plug it? Are you son of a bitch. You are, such a, you are such a podcast salesman now. You are in the game, buddy. What are you, John, almost nine, uh, 100 episodes in? You have you finally got it down. You got the whole podcast thing. Oh, man, did you see me read that fucking ad in the beginning? I was yeah, well done. My words. Was I was stumbling over my words. Ah, what are you talking right. about? I still haven't mastered it. Do you know um, how many times I've stumbled over a read live on air? It happens, you know? I know. Thank God. I'm a professional. Oh God, we don't do this live. Um, <laughs> so, John, this is the first time I've ever declared a Philadelphia athlete, like Joel Embiid, Allen Iverson. I was too young to be doing that shit. This is the first time I've ever declared somebody a my guy. So I feel like a certain way towards Jalen Hurts. Now, I'm not one of those guys that, like, you know, won't go back on, I wasn't wrong, you were wrong, kind of like the Carson Wentz defenders. Oh, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. Yeah. I was 100% like, wrong. But it's awesome yeah. to, like, be like, if I'm wrong on Jalen – I'll be wrong on Jalen. That's perfectly fine. Where I come from kind of mostly is that this only benefits the team and the future if Jalen is good. And that's why I think I, I'm so strongly attached to Jalen. And I also want to kind of know where your argument is. Is it you don't think he's a franchise quarterback and to – to lead up again with that is what makes a QB in your mind a franchise QB? Because me and Mark have actually like tried to figure out. Yeah, and that's that's a really tough answer for that to say like what what makes a franchise quarterback? Because I could say there may be a handful of them. Because even the top ten guys like Ryan Tannehill is not a franchise quarterback. Derrick Henry's a franchise running back. Carson Wentz isn't a franchise quarterback, but Jonathan Taylor's a franchise running back. Like you can win with with Wentz and Tannehill and Baker Mayfield even in the right circumstance, but that doesn't mean they're franchise. Like, there's a handful of those guys, and even now, Lamar Jackson, everybody's like, oh, well, Tyler Huntley, look at him on the heels of Lamar Jackson. Well, it's like, all right, no, not to say, like, that is legit. Those are two franchise quarterbacks. Those are two they, they could. They, so they could. But that's a hard thing to answer. I just think with the position the Eagles are in, with all of the draft picks, with the fact that they're going to be able to maybe draft one, trade for one, they will be in a position to upgrade from Jalen Hurts. Like, Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. I think he's about a... a 20th or below like he's he's a starter in this league but is he a good enough starter that you can obviously kind of lean on and I just don't I don't think that's the case I think that they can end up upgrading that position and if you have the opportunity to at the most important position in all of sports then I think you you do it and you look at those options by the way and that's the thing too it's like not not that Jalen Hurts is has been awful but he's been so so to the point where the Eagles have to look at their options they have to look to see if there's something better available and I don't blame them for doing that or wanting to do that so when I when I hear things like the Deshaun Watson rumors which I would not want him here just keep Jalen Hurts if that's the guy you want but you know Russell Wilson everybody's talking about or even drafting I know everybody doesn't like this quarterback draft class but Kenny Pickett let's be honest probably going to be a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts like the odds are that a quarterback is like like Kenny Pickett drafted early on in the first round is going to be better than Hurts even if marginal still better so I just it, it he hasn't done enough to me to think that okay he's the guy the Eagles just should stop looking no they should be actively looking and trying to find a quarterback better than Hurts because with the position they're in they're likely going to find one 
So I have two points here that kind of play to both to both sides. Like that's going to be me the whole time. But I agree with John's point about Jalen Hurts has not been good enough to a point where it's like, oh, we don't have to worry about quarterback and we can't look at the draft and we can't think about Russell Wilson and even Deshaun Watson if they're really thinking about that. He And I've said many times on this podcast, I wish Jalen Hurts was better or worse than what he is because I think that that would make this a lot easier of a conversation. Um, I probably think he's somewhere in that probably 16 to 18 range in quarterbacks and not around that 20th. So only a slight disagreement. So really, I think the, the debate there is, can he get to that top 10? Can he get to top 12? And that's where, you know, can he be 10th? I think he might be able to be. So that's a tough conversation. But then to play the other side, I would say, um, I think that sometimes with the quarterback position, teams across the league get wrapped in this idea that if we don't do it now, we can't do it next year. Like, I don't think that it's, completely a, a, a you know an irreparable thing to this franchise that if we go out and we get some defense we get an o-lineman or we get a receiver we go out and stock up all around use our cap room make those three first round picks on non-quarterbacks that doesn't mean that we're out of the qb kind of carousel for the next year like next year we could be right back in and if that's the case, we would have a lot more pieces to put around whoever that new guy would be. But that's only in the case that you're not in love with Russell Wilson or you're not in love with Kenny Pickett enough to make the move. So I, I really do think, like I said, I, I, I wish he was better or worse. Um, I don't think he's been good enough to the point where you can't look at your options. And I don't think he's been bad enough to the point where you're like, we have to look at the options. I think it's right in that middle ground. John, do you think Jalen Hurts deserves 2022 season to figure it out? If they don't have a shot at one of the top quarterbacks, and I think it is, like, I'll be honest, it's really slim, the quarterback draft class. Like, I like a few guys. I still think Malik Willis is good. I still think Sam Howell, he just didn't have the wide receivers he did last year. And Kenny Pickett, I think, is really good. But, yeah, like, there's there's obviously a chance that he does come back, and it's not saying that's a bad idea. If the Russell Wilson thing falls apart, then obviously you can't really get anybody else. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is coming to Philadelphia. Like, that's an absolutely a no-go. And it seems like Russell Wilson doesn't even want to come to Philly, so that exactly. could be – yeah, he, he didn't even name him in the teams that he wants to go to. So that's that's certainly something that, that seems like a far-fetched idea. But, you know, they're, they're – there are many other options out there, and I think the Eagles are going to find all of them or try and use every available option to want to bring in. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, yes, there is a there's a chance that he could be the quarterback next year, but to, to declare him, I guess, the guy is something that I'm not all for yet because he just hasn't proven that. And to be honest, like everybody keeps calling him young, and like he has this whole upward trajectory. Like, man, a second-year quarterback that was already – you know, a long time in college, like he's plateaued. Like this is what we're seeing now, I think, is kind of what we're just going to see throughout the rest of his career. Like I don't see this all of a sudden upward turn like we saw from Lamar Jackson, like we saw from even Josh Allen, even though Josh Allen is a bit of an anomaly because it doesn't really happen in your third year. It's usually second year. You see what the guy has. And then after that, you kind of go, okay, this is what he is. And I, I just don't know why we haven't concluded on what he is yet. So I just think that we need to see the options and the options do need to be looked at. But with what's with what is presented in front of us right now, without going through the draft process yet, without knowing you know what quarterbacks are testing well and which ones are doing really well in terms of interviews, things like that, uh, there doesn't seem like a an option that is very straightforward and, and in our face that we could go to. Just just playing off that young quarterback thing. The judge doesn't talk this much in deliberations. I'll tell you're you. You're right. That. You're right. I'm I'm muting myself. 
The what I what I like about Jalen and what I think is something that we don't discuss is between the ears. I think it takes a special, special person to play in this city. And I think him going through what he went through in Tuscaloosa, the Philadelphia of college football, to go over to Oklahoma, be a runner up in the Heisman, to now being one of three QBs with 700 plus yards and 10 rushing TDs in a season. The others were Kyler Murray and Cam Newton, which I'm sure you would be, correct me if I'm wrong, you'd be happy, not now with Cam, but back then. No, with I Cam. like Cam. And with, yeah, and like with Cam. Kyler now. I was, you would, I, he was the one that I was wrong on in that draft class. I didn't think he was going to do well in the NFL, and he was good. He was really good. I would ask you, though, what are you most worried about Jalen in terms of his play? Like, what sticks out to you? It's He, he lacks a bunch of fundamentals when it comes to passing. Like he he still does not see the field well at all, and that's been really apparent. And he doesn't move around in the pocket. Obviously, he's quick, but he doesn't have any pocket awareness. Like I think we saw in that Gardner Minshew game. Not to say Gardner Minshew's better. Jalen Hurts. Everybody thinks that when I like kind of compare them or make parallels that I'm like making this quarterback controversy. No, Jalen Hurts is way fucking better than Gardner Minshew. Like, don't ever twist my words there. But like we kind of saw that Gardner Minshew, it was it was the small things. It was that he could move around in the pocket. It's that he was making his progressions and able to make the right reads, and he was looking at the entire field. You know, I just think he lacks those fundamentals, and yeah, you can get away with it, especially with the way he runs and the way the offensive line is playing right now. You don't need him to throw the ball, but that Giants game was really apparent. Like They needed him to make some plays in the passing game, and it didn't work. Now, it did against Washington, but the inconsistency is there enough to where he is not... I mean, when we talk about, like Mark said, where he is at in quarterback rankings, I could say, yeah, I could I could be talked into you know, about 15, 16, 17, whatever that range may be. But he is a he is a bottom, you know, third of the league passer. He's not good enough. He can't throw the ball downfield. He's really gun shy about it. And I think all of those things, if you tie them all together and all the passing problems, you know, I, I just I think it comes back to haunt them in a lot of games. Yes, you can win with him, but can you end up winning games to win divisions and you know get into the playoffs and make a big run in the playoffs? That that is what I'm really concerned about. That you know. He just he kind of is plateaued. You have an idea of where he can take you, but it's just not going to be far enough. And again, there are going to be other quarterbacks out there, like I think a, a Kenny Pickett or even a Matt Corral, that can give you those fundamental things. And I think you can end up working around that a lot more than what Jalen Hurts has to offer. But then you see the and he leads the league in explosive plays, which are 16 plus yard completions and 10 yard rushes. So you see he does have that explosion. I agree with you 100% that he doesn't know how to read the field. Uh, I think there was that big Goddard reception where Jalen Rager was streaking down the sideline yeah. wide open uh the Kenny I mean, the, 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 slant. The, the egregious one the only one that I was because that one still I'm not going to complain about a good play like he still he still made a somewhat good read and uh they had that the, the one was Devonte Smith like mm-hmm. there was that was not there at all to begin with and he just locked in on him and threw it mm-hmm. uh that's that was the only one from that Washington game I was I was really concerned about the only thing that like I just I think is that like I think it was kind of a Nick Sirianni kind of getting his feet under him that maybe didn't play well into Jalen's beginning of the season. And everyone is locked in on that New York Giants game. And I understand why he looked terrible. That interception in the red zone was god awful. But like he he takes care of the ball a lot. 
And it's the NFL, and anyone can win on an any given Sunday, and I know it was New York Giants, and he had them in position to win. I don't know where you're at on that last play to Jalen Rager with uh, Devontae Smith streaking up the sideline. I guess five guys, in my opinion, they make that throw. If you really watch the all 22 breakdown uh, from the end zone, right? Jalen Hurts' dude, arm, that's yeah. There's they, a dude yeah. doing a swim move over like his Justin head. Herbert could make that throw, but exactly. Aaron Rodgers could make that throw, exactly. like Pat Mahomes could make that throw. Guys, with I understand the arm issues, the deep ball, and everything, but why can't you play to your quarterback's strengths? Like, why can't we? Uh, and I hope we get to the playoffs because I, I want to see him, you know, or I hope we play uh, Dallas full strength week 18. Like, because I want to see what he can be like in a division game with playoffs on the line or a first round wild card game against uh I don't know Tampa Bay Cowboys or or Arizona who are where it's shaping out to be. I just I think it's so it's I, th- I think we're just we're, we're quitting on them too fast. And that's kind of our problem with you know our generation definitely but I guess the older generation too. We just want everything instant. We want instant gratification. And we yeah, saw that you know with that's it, it's funny because that that I think is at the root of of where we divide. Like if if it in terms of Jalen Hurts and where me and you split off the most, and a lot of like people that like Hurts and don't like Hurts, is the how much time does he need? Because you say we're giving up on him too fast, and obviously I can't say like no, you're wrong about that. But I just don't think so. He's in his second year. He was a grad transfer out of Bama. Like he played a lot of college football. He's seen it all by now. Like I, I think if if we don't know, would you say college schemes a little bit different than than it pro is? But scheme? I I we we've also seen quarterbacks that have stayed in college longer that have had more time to be able to to play in college and and get the reps that they do come into the NFL with at least some kind of. Um, I guess because of the repetitions, they do have an idea of what they're seeing. And the fundamentals are there a lot more than a really raw quarterback that's played one season. Like Trey Lance, we're seeing Trey Lance needs some time to develop. He's going to take a lot of time because he played one season in college and he barely threw the ball like 20, 25 times a game. Dude has all the talent in the world, but he needs the time to be able to kind of develop and get the the fundamental skills to do it. Jalen Hurts has that. Like somebody somebody uh, tweeted at me like, oh, Jalen Hurts is finally, you know, moving his feet with his eyes. I'm like, he better fucking damn know how to do that. Like he played at Alabama. He played with Lincoln Riley after that. He started how many games in college? And then he started four games in the NFL in his rookie season and now a full season this year. Like how he's only played four more games than Gardner Minshew. You know, like it's it's not like we we should know what he is by now. But I think people just want to want to say like, hey, hold the brakes, give him more time. But I think a guy in his second year after starting a full season, if you don't know what he is by then, like to me, that's a that's a red flag to go. But okay, you, well, you could say that about know. Baker Mayfield. We thought Baker Mayfield was going to be somebody. Baker Mayfield year. had a great rookie season, though. Like Baker, he, but he has had a great. Uh, what's he in his fourth year now? He had his great third year, and now we're right. like, oh, well, we I think I think this year dollars. was finally this year was finally the breaking point of okay, we we finally know what he is because that first year was really good. He had I think one of the best QB ratings in in NFL history for a rookie season. Like he was extremely good his rookie year under just incredibly terrible circumstances of like having whatever that idiot was. You you. What was his Jackson. name? Hugh, Hugh Jackson. Jackson. He he sucked. And Hugh Jackson basically ruined the Browns franchise even more than they already were ruined. And Baker Mayfield still played well in those circumstances. And it turned out Freddie Kitchen sucked. So it was worth that third year to see what he had. And he gave him a really great second half. But their seer was the, okay, if you don't do it, then you got to, if you don't show us anything here again, then you're done. I think Baker Mayfield should be done in Cleveland. Like I, we've seen enough. But it, it showed enough promise. 
I don't know if I've seen that promise from Jalen Hurts. Like he he had the time to do it, and this season is just it's not happening. Like I, I think it's I think it's okay, but he never he he even has not shown like Baker Mayfield promise what Baker Mayfield did that first year. We we also have three first rounders. We have an insane amount of cap. We were never expected to be talking about playoffs on Christmas. Like that was never going to happen. We just hit the over. We have chances to be nine and eight. Yeah, ten and seven, like anybody coming into this season, and that's where it kind of sucks, and that's where it's brutal to listen to fucking Eagles fans when they go I know, two, yeah. when they go two possessions and they go down ten nothing to Garrett. Go, we'll get to you, Judge. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> and now I lost my fucking point, Mark. <laughs> you said no one expect. I wasn't pointing me to talk to me. You were saying no one expected the Eagles <laughs> to be in the playoffs. John Johnson was laughing at me in August and July I know, I when know. I was on his show saying we'd be. I thought you were seven. saying raising your fucking hand to be caught on you. I thought he was like raising that. his hand too, like we're in a fucking class. No, I was saying I expected up. the Eagles to make the playoffs. That's what I was saying. So now, no, so this is what this was brutal. If you would have told anyone the the Eagles were going ten and seven, we would have called you crazy. Except Mark Henry, who had him going, you know, to the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, um, I, I know, me. but. And that's where it's like we we just like okay we just continue to move the goalpost back. It's like we're gonna be nine and eight probably at most. We might be ten and seven. Uh, we're gonna be four and thirteen in the beginning of the year. Oh shit, we started two and five. We suck. Oh man, we're five and two since. But it's like is Jalen the guy? No, he can't be the guy. Okay, he he gets over this barrier. Move the goalpost back again. Can he be the guy? No, he can't be the guy. Move the goalpost. The Giants game can't be the guy. Then he comes back against Washington, depleted Washington. Don't get me wrong, but people were going nuts about Minshew when he was was beating the Jets, um, which was just, totally fucking dumb, by the way. It's, it is like, stupid, yeah, Minshew, you know Minshew is what he is at this point, man. He's a good backup. He's Colt McCoy. Like that's what he is. Like he's never going to be a starter in this league. And that's why I just don't like that. Like we would be sitting here in August and being like, yeah, you guys are going to go ten and seven, and you're going to yeah, still well, be wondering well i guess the the mistake we all made is that you know i'm i'm literally on this podcast because of jalen hurts because i have an opinion on jalen hurts you have a strong opinion they're opposite and that's why we're talking but like it's it's a shame because we made this all about the quarterback and hurts and to a certain extent sirianni but like this team is playing extremely well around him and i know i i went over exaggerating and like everybody stinks except the offensive line but what but i i like what the offensive line is doing these last 7 games is unbelievable like this really? is historically one of the best performances from an offensive line since what the the 1985 bears and the 85 bears had walter fucking payton behind him miles sanders is not Walter Payton. If you actually look at expected yards per carry, meaning what the offensive line gives a running back, Miles Sanders isn't really overperforming what the offensive line is giving him. He's doing exactly... Like, Miles Sanders is performing well, not because of Miles Sanders. It's because that offensive line is so good. And I, I, I saw tweets of like, oh, he's finally hitting holes now. I was like, you better fucking see those holes. Are you kidding me? He Maybe missed a hole against Washington when Kelsey's... I, these, throwing the guy out these to the holes, right. you can put a, what like the the cliche of every single announcer. You could put an eighteen wide through that. Yeah, yeah, you can though. Like it's it's legitimate. Like the offensive line is playing that so well. So why wouldn't you want and, to surround Jalen Hurts with fifteen, sixteen million dollars in cap and three I first know, rounders? But we go but, get Jamison Williams. We go get Kyle Hamilton. But then if you want to specifically talk about the quarterback, I don't think the quarterback play is there. Like he is a he is a bottom third of the league passer with one of the best offensive line in football right now. And I like we've seen offensive lines hide a 
lot. Like, we saw that with Cleveland. Because Baker Mayfield had a good second half, and we all thought Kevin Stefanski was good, and then all of a sudden the offensive line didn't play as well this year. And then everything totally collapsed, and everybody went, ah, that's right, Stefanski's kind of a fraud. Like, he's really not that good. How many so, guys can make up for their bad offensive line? Five? No, it's it's not like a bad offensive line, but with no, what Jalen like, like like Aaron Rodgers had four oh, right. of his five offensive line. Yeah, if we go through that, there's there's only a handful of quarterbacks. Right? A handful. But if you play the way the Eagles do, and that you have to run the ball with Jalen Hurts, you have to have a really good offensive line. And we're seeing in order for them to win, they have to be historically good. And I know the the rebuttal of that is while well, Jalen Hurts is helping out. Obviously, yeah. the fact that Jalen Hurts can yeah. run it it absolutely helps out. But still, Lamar Jackson's offense wasn't even doing this. You know, and Lamar Jackson to me is a better running quarterback than Lamar Jackson. No, I don't care what anybody then says. Lamar Jackson's the best rushing quarterback. You said yeah. Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. Sorry, so. sorry. <laughs> Lamar <laughs> squared. <laughs> I would My take bad. I'm, I'm in Christmas. I'm in Christmas mode. I'm in vacation mode right now. And then you yeah, got uh, hold on a second, John. You yeah. got, so Jalen Hurts gets 269 more passing yards and 267 more rushing yards to become the second quarterback to ever throw for 3,000 yards and rush for 1,000 yards. I'm not calling him Lamar Jackson, but he's only the second right. player to ever do it if he gets it. Yeah, he would be. But again, I I want to give a lot of credit, and that's where, you know, well, why you can taking credits off of Hurts. Maybe I am. But this offensive line is playing the like the best in football. Like this is that was a completely dominant performance against Washington. Like that was an unbelievable game against that front that actually had Jonathan Allen back and Montez Sweat. Like they were great. And my my worry is like if you continue this with Hurts, what happens? Because we've seen offensive lines regress immediately the next year. Even the 2017 Eagles, the the next year, the next couple years, dealt with injuries, guys aging like Jason Peters, and it completely fell apart. They couldn't run the way they did in that in that Super Bowl year. The Dallas Cowboys in 2016, I think it was, Dak Prescott's rookie year, everybody's like, that's the blueprint. Jerry Jones figured it out. It's offensive line. It's offensive line. And pretty much every single year after that, they've been ravaged with injuries, and they have not been as good as that 2016 season. It is really hard to be able to play behind that. And I'm just worried that if that part of the game isn't there and they aren't as prolific as running the ball, that's when I get concerned of, okay, well, now Jalen Hurts needs to throw a bit more, and I don't know if if he if he is capable of being relied upon to do that. Like, that's that's where I'm, I'm kind of worried. But those are the risks you take. That's life. You know, absolutely. You, you never yeah. know what's going to, you never knew yeah. last year we were going to play 16 different line combinations. So now you yeah. want to throw a rookie quarterback back there, like Kenny Pickett gets sacked 50 times and, and loses confidence and stuff. I just think this guy's unshakable. I think you put, I, I think this all season, if Howie hits on this all season, like he hit in 2018 for pre, uh, preseason and during season picks, this has a makeup of a Super Bowl contending team. <sighs> <laughs> that's it, it's really tough it, yeah it's really tough for me to say that because again like if if they have the offensive line playing the way they are now and I know there are some pieces that are going to be there like Lane Johnson is going to continue to be there and Landon, Jordan Mailata who is unfucking believable yeah. Jason uh, but, Kelsey is probably going to come back next year yeah it seems like it seems like he will come back but still I think, he's got, you know, I think he also gets paid like 30 million dollars too if he doesn't come back if he doesn't come back I don't yeah think like, I, I think he is I think that with the way he's playing and you know now he kind of has this new life because you know he does feel rejuvenated Rejuvenated? Yeah, he, yeah, he really does. I, I I would agree with that. But again, you know, he's he's what in his mid thirties, you know, Lane Johnson has been dealing with injuries throughout his career. Jordan Mailata started to have injury problems. Only a couple games, I think he's injury prone. But it's it's really hard to just rely on that offensive line to carry you through a season. And I'm afraid if that regresses and the running game isn't what it is, and they have to end up throwing the ball more, can they win the ball? 
throwing at Jalen Hurts. They've been able to do it a couple of times, but for the most part, like the Giants, the Giants game was really telling, and not not just the Giants game. The, there was one game that really pissed me off, but it was more the press conference afterwards. Them saying we wanted Jalen Hurts to try and beat us, like that that just raises so many red flags. Somebody said that about. Baker Mayfield and Cleveland, that's when I was like, all right, well, maybe this thing's fucking done. Like, don't you think if Washington, if Washington would have won this week, they would have been the same thing. We wanted to make Jalen Hurts beat us. If, if yeah. he would have lost to the Lions, it would have been, we wanted to make Jalen Washington, Hurts. It's, it's Washington always just be that. didn't have the means, man. That that team fucking. Yeah, but it's always, it's always going to be that, like, we want Hurts to beat us. Go, go but Mark. I, I will say real quick. Oh, Let Mark yeah. talk before he pops I haven't blood talked vessel. in 20 minutes. I know. I, 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 I don't I, want I you to pop your blood vessel. Um, the, the thing with rushing quarterbacks, I, I do think that they're held to an unfair scale because earlier we were picking apart his mechanics and saying, well, he better be moving his eyes with his feet. You, if you're a rushing quarterback and you can look at Lamar, you can look at, you know, going back to RG three, when he was succeeding, you can look at all the rushing quarterbacks over the last 20 years, their mechanics are never as strong as a Tom Brady or these guys that are picked to be these pocket passers and are picked because of their ability to pass, but you can't then take away the credit in my opinion for the rushing offense because I don't think that Miles Sanders is a part of what's going on right now at all. No, all he's not. I he completely agree. Yeah. I think it, this offense I, is helped. The running game is helped by Hurts. I agree. And I think it's less and the holes with the offensive line, I don't think those would be happening with a pocket passer for the running game. I think that what the defense has to account for when they're expecting Jalen to pull the ball on these RPOs or on these read options, and then you give it to Miles and he dashes the other way when half the defense is going one way. There was one play that I and I even picked apart um on a pod I did where it's like they did one fake and it had sent three people to the other side for Washington and opened up a 10 yard run. I, I think a lot of the things that are being talked about, of this is the best offensive line performance ever. And this is the best rushing game ever. I, I really do think it's just as simple as rushing quarterbacks help the offense in so many ways, but when rushing quarterbacks look bad and when a team is able to stop the rush, it's always going to look bad. You think about Lamar Jackson in his first playoff game uh, a couple years ago. You think about a lot of these you know, Lamar Jackson a couple weeks ago on Monday Night Football against Miami. You think about Kyler. Kyle, and I know Kyler put up numbers his first two years. Kyler didn't compete his first two years. They they didn't win more than six games. And I know a lot of people put that on Kingsbury. And Kingsbury we, sucks. We, we're, we, we're even saying that. That, that, is, that yeah. is seeping through the ca- cracks again that Cliff Kingsbury is a fucking fraud. But he, he sucks man but even before this year and even before competing we were talking about him as a top five top seven top ten guy and he's proved that and being able to compete in his third year and with Jalen he's seven and seven this year is he doing it the exact way that we draw up in the exact way we'd want him to do it while doing it through the air and throwing for over 250 yards per game no but it, it's kind of uh, he's seven and seven I, I he's six and seven technically Minshew got one but uh, the Eagles are seven and seven in the thick of a playoff race and I I, I think that a lot of it is because of Jalen Hurts and I think that the defense. Uh, no, I, but again, I, I already said. I already said. I'm not saying he's a franchise quarterback, and I'm not saying we can't take any picket. I'm not saying we can't trade for Russell Wilson. But I do think what you give up in the sacrifices you make for an offense for having Jalen Hurts, you gain with getting. I think it's the, the seven straight 175 plus rushing yards, the first since 1985. And then just a quick aside to end my end my rant here. Young quarterbacks. I I, I still view second year quarterbacks as young. Like I think just taking Hurts out of it. Like I think Tua is a young quarterback. Like I look at Tua as a guy where it's like, yeah, next year we'll really. And I get that it's a different scale. Top five pick, yeah. to second round pick. It's a different right. Scale. Well, they were. This was pretty much a make or break year for him. I mean, yeah, if, if sure. he didn't play well this year, Miami was going to fucking move on. They wanted to after just one year. 
year, and he's proving them wrong. Like, or, you know what? Actually, Miami, let him go, and let Sean Payton get another 70% completion percent passer. <laughs> yeah, go, well, go do Ian, that, please. Ian Book is playing this weekend, so that might be happening Stop anyway. It. So. <laughs> Stop it. Get out of here. Get, get out of here with that. But I'll say, because I know we brought up the Giants game. It's the last thing I'll say about Hurts. The game that really pissed me off was the Denver game because he played so well in the first half. Like, that's good. Do it again. You know, complete a game. Have a great second half. And the way he played that second half pissed me off to no end. It's the Reese Hoskins thing. Like, I'm I'm so happy when Reese Hoskins hits 10 home runs in a week, but then zero in the next month. Like, I hate that shit. Give me consistency. And especially an important position like quarterback, I just want consistency. And the Denver game really, that was the first one where I I got insanely just mad at the quarterback that he is because we saw he can throw the ball but he's just not consistent enough to do it and made some really bad mistakes in that one they basically just said yeah Jalen you've done enough in the first half like we're done we're not going to try this but didn't Sirianni also come out and say like he didn't like how he called the game in the second half too so I thought he could but I still won 30 to 13 yeah, it's like it's a, the same thing I think with Doug and Carson. He's always going to protect his quarterback, rightly so. He he should always protect his quarterback. And we thought Doug Peterson maybe did that a little bit too much last season, and maybe ended up to his his downfall with the Eagles. But yeah, no, I I just think it's protecting his quarterback, which he absolutely should. All right, did we well, clear anything up? <laughs> no, we're and we're not going to clear anything up. And I think he I think he does get twenty twenty two because I think twenty twenty three. If we do have to do the QB class, it is a strong QB class coming out. Um, but no, we are not going to ever clear anything up. And we didn't come into this podcast thinking we were ever going to clear anything up, unless unless Mark has a verdict. No, I hate everyone. I'm mad at both of you. You guys are both. You guys are both wrong. No, I'm joking. That's fine. Um, no, I think you guys are both part right, part wrong. Like I, I think I'm right. You know, I'm in the middle. I'm right. <laughs> Middleman, Mark. Judge, hey. my judge verdict is that I'm correct and you guys are both wrong. That's fine by me. Uh, Johnny, I think you're the main draw of this podcast. Hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know if the majority thinks you're the main draw. So let's go over to Mark Zoomoff. All right, we've got a good one today. A great one today. Sixers broadcasting legend, a Temple Al, the voice of your childhood and mine for the last 27 years. Mark Zumoff joins the program. Mark, how are we doing? Have you learned that instrument you wrote in your retirement speech yet? Yeah, I'm taking flute lessons. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. And I appreciate you guys asking about it. It's really cool. It's the first time I played since eighth grade. So... I'm scratching that itch. Let's put it that way. Are you like? Are you playing hot cross buns? Are you playing anything else? It's too complicated for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to. Uh, I need to strive for hot cross buns. Does your flute guy know in his life that he would ever be teaching one of the most legendary Sixers of all time, Mark Zumoff? That must have been you know. I, and I'll and I'll be honest with you. It is a it is a woman, and she is Sorry. very. She's a very accomplished musician. I'm I'm fortunate to be able to get lessons from her. And I don't think she really has any idea. Like I, I told her in an introductory phone call what I did and, you know, it was like telling her I was the milkman. So it was no big deal. <laughs> That's gotta be amazing. Yeah. Well, you know what it's, and it, and it's perfectly fine. It, that's a lot of why I retired was to venture into areas that were not sports or were, you know, where I'm not necessarily known by the people who, uh, share those other passions. So it's it's all good. I'm I'm enjoying the journey. Did you know Game Five against the Wizards was going to be your last one at the time? I did. Uh, this is actually I, I signed a contract. Uh, well, 
you do the math in terms of what year it was a three-year deal and after i signed it my wife and i talked about it and we thought it might be our last and then after that first year uh i knew that i had two more years and that was going to be it and then really the the process of retirement it kind of took a year by the time you know you you tell the people you need to tell and you strategically plan your exit and all of that it's a it's really a big deal, but I, I'm, I'm happy I did it. I think I got out at the right time. The key for me, guys, was to not be there as my skills were declining. And even if fans didn't realize it, I would have realized it. So, um, And while I'm still young, I can do things like play the flute and travel with my wife, hopefully, COVID notwithstanding, and do some other things. Yeah, I was going to ask you if the pandemic sped that up, but it obviously didn't if that was kind of made that decision a couple of years ago. But I, I agree with you. Sometimes you see, you know, movie stars stay in too late. Sometimes you see, you know, uh, comedians stay in too late. So credit to you for for, for going out on top. I mean, it, it hurt us, you know, getting that uh, retirement speech on, on June 29th came out of nowhere. I mean, then you go back and you watch your video of you and uh, Amy Fadul kind of signing off for the end of the season. That's when you're kind of like, OK, I could see. Mark's wheels were turning. I'm sure Allah might have might have had a hunch at that time and whatnot. But no, man, credit to you for for getting off it. You know when you when you wanted to get off, and credit to you for you know doing what you really wanted to do in life. I appreciate it. I did. I don't know if you guys are big Howard Stern fans or not, but I listen to Howard fairly regularly, especially when he has a celebrity on. And he had an interview with Jerry Seinfeld, and one of the things that Seinfeld said. This was a few months before I retired, but it resonated with me was that Seinfeld always felt that the show Seinfeld continues to be popular and um, is held in high regard because they pulled the plug on it before it jumped the shark, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So that was all the more reason for me to think, you know what, uh, go before. It's like, you know, I, I mean, I hate to toot my own horn, but it's kind of like selling a stock before, you know, or just as it's peaking. It, it, it was time. It was time for me to sell my stock. Well, well, I, I, I think I can speak for a lot of Sixers fans when I thank you for not for toughing out through those process years uh, to get to these last couple years uh, and not leaving too early. Uh, because I, I think the last decade that you had with with the process era and then leading into winning basketball for the first time in a long time, um, I, I think that that was great. And for Sixers fans of my age and. I'm a diehard Sixers fan. I remember the pre-process years. Like I remember the Iverson days and the post-Iverson days. But I really do think that the process kind of reinvigorated me as a fan. And I wanted to ask you how it felt kind of – because you always on the broadcast came across very enthusiastic. And I think that that kept fans like me and fans that were bought into the idea of the process – well, well, if Mark's uh, still bought in and he has to watch every game, then I guess I, I guess we're still bought in too, and we can still believe. Did it take a level of belief in what Sam Hinkie was doing and the players that he was drafting and the idea of the process to be as enthusiastic as you were um, uh, night in and night out? First of all, thank you for the kind comments, and I can answer the question any one of a number of ways. The first is. You know, I, I appreciate you thanking me, but I still needed the money at that time. So I was going to keep I was going to continue to work process or not. It was certainly a unique way to rebuild a team and something that no one had really. I mean, we had seen it to varying degrees, but that was really taken to another level the way it was orchestrated by Sam Hickey and the 76ers. But uh, 
you know, for me, first of all, I'm a Philly guy and I saw my first Sixers game the first year the team moved from Syracuse. I was back in 1963. So to say that my blood is not only red, but white and blue, and, you know, there are Sixer logos in the corpuscles, it's, it's truly uh, meant in that, in that regard. I am, I am, it's my favorite sport. It's my favorite squad. And um, it didn't take much for me to be enthusiastic. And then the other part of it is you're a professional. So you have to do what you have to do. You comport yourself in a way that uh, you're doing your job. You're still trying to be entertaining. You're still trying to be informative. And remember, too, that you are working for a company, in this case, NBC. They had an agreement with the 76ers. And it, the agreement is such that um, we were all on one team. So not only am I working for the channel, but I'm really working for the Sixers as well. And I would hope that my performance reflected the, what they would want me to do in that particular situation. So all those things considered, I did what I had to do. And uh, let's put it this way. I, I have one of the best jobs in America. There are many, 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 many people, <clears throat> people who would love to do what I do, let alone do it for the team you grew up rooting for. So I never took it for granted. And the last thing I'll say is I learned a long time ago, there was nothing I could do about the product on the floor. I was not responsible for that. And it was not a reflection on me, win or lose. And so I just did what I had to do. Yeah, so, you did it really well. Thanks. Just just building off of that. Um, so I, I just want to, because now we're looking back on the process with Joel Embiid, who has obviously become the process in a lot of ways. Um, and you look at it and it's like, oh, how could you not have been bought in? But I guess my question is, what was your level of belief that the process was the right way to go about building a team for the Sixers and trying to get to where we've been the last couple of years where we're competing? And because it, it is a polarizing topic of how, especially how blatantly Sam did it and how blatantly we tanked a little bit. Um, do you think that did you have a moral problem with it outside of working for the Sixers? Or did you think this is the right way, like I did, that this is kind of how you have to do it in today's NBA with the way that the lottery is? You mentioned the word moral. And I think when you are talking about sports, I'm not quite sure it touches on what's moral versus what is immoral. I think what the owners and Sam Hickey decided to do was everything that was within the confines of what they could do um, and still not hemorrhage money and lose fans. There seemed to be a lot of people who actually went along with the process and everything that went along with the process. So I would say that they did what they felt that they could do within the constraints of the NBA and its bylaws and everything else. Um, you could interpret the hiring of Jerry Colangelo uh, in, in any way you want. Some people seem to think that the NBA wanted to put someone in there who was going to maybe alter the course of the process, but whatever. I think that um, nothing illegal was done. There were some fans who didn't like the process and the result of it and they expressed themselves, but I think it's pretty clear if you look at the end result, uh, you know, this year notwithstanding, they're just a 500 team, but they were able to acquire Embiid and, and Ben Simmons, two guys who could, oops, I said Ben Simmons, uh, <laughs> two, two guys who they, who they could build around and maybe fashion a championship team. 
So I don't think you can necessarily quarrel with the results in terms of the process itself. Well, that's uh, for others to judge, but I don't, you know, and at no time do I recall there was anything immoral per se, at least in my view, or illegal according to NBA bylaws. You have had an interesting career because, you know, you start in, uh, start calling games more in, in, in the early 90s. Um, you see this whole offensive revolution, you know, from going from big man, putting it down low and whatnot to, you know, the three-point revolution that if you're not shooting 33s a game, what are you really doing? To also going through a kind of a te- technological revolution of, you know, you start your career, you dial up internet, and now we have social media and the internet's you know faster. We're on like web point three right now. How did the internet and social media kind of change? Maybe not your broadcast approach, but broadcasting in general. You think? So social media obviously is a great way to find out how many people didn't <laughs> like your performance right after the game. You the the haters, the the not haters, the the people who are fans you got feedback immediately. And I even got feedback during the game if I had the opportunity to answer someone on Twitter or to tweet out an observation during a commercial break, I would do that as well. So clearly social media has altered the landscape dramatically. And the internet, the same thing. I mean, look what we're doing right now. If there was no internet, if there was no streaming, you guys would be trying to figure out other ways to develop your sportscasting careers This way, you can get an iPhone or a computer or a camera, and the next thing you know, you have your own podcast, you have your own show. So uh, at no time in human history, if we had the ability to not only communicate ourselves to a worldwide audience, but take uh, the world itself and bring it to this, which essentially it seems is the only thing you really need nowadays is this. It can do everything from you know, start your car to pay your bills to everything else. So uh, I, I, I feel as though I am contributing very little to the conversation of what effect did the internet and social media have on sports and society in general. But that's maybe to give you just a, um, you know, one man's point of view as to the seismic changes that those two things have brought about. How hard is it to do road games from the NBC Sports Studios now that we're like, you know, obviously... Uh, Kate and Allah have to do that a lot. Uh, you had to do it from your house, I'm pretty sure, during during the pandemic at one point. Um, just kind of going off of that, like, you know, you probably could have never done that, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, how hard is it to, to do it from the NBC Sports Studios? It's like anything else. You perform to the limits of your capabilities, and I don't mean necessarily your ability to call a game. I mean, the fact that you can only see the court and you can't look off to the bench to see how Doc Rivers is reacting. You can't look off uh, the ball uh, as easily as you could if you were at the arena live. So there is certainly a limited scope. So what you need to do is, and it's good broadcasting practice anyway, even if you're live in the arena, is if you don't know what's going on, don't speculate, don't guess, hold back on that call and wait to see that you're delivering the information correctly the first time. That's not to say that I didn't make those mistakes and I didn't think that I saw something and called it and it turned out to be something else. But I think now we are uh, to the point in uh, 
and it's all necessitated by COVID, where remote broadcasting is here to stay in some form or fashion. I do think that announcers should be on site, but the technology is now here for producers, directors, and others who would normally accompany the announcers to that NBA city to stay back and do whatever producing they need to do back in Philadelphia, and the announcers are the ones only who are on site. When you're, when you're in the arena, you can see so much more, and quite frankly, the level of credibility is tenfold when you are there, not only because fans can see you there, but you have the ability to, hey, Joel, how's the ankle? Or, uh, you know, to go to an assistant coach, hey, that Utah Jazz run a ton of pick and roll. How are you guys going to defend it? Um, you know, that uh, helps you to serve the fans that much better as well. So um, I do think that at least the fan, the uh, announcers should continue to travel. When that's going to be, I don't know, but um, I guess only the uh, the virus can determine that. Kyle, Kyle mentioned Allah there, and you had a, a good amount of co-hosts with you in, in the broadcast booth uh, before Allah came on, and I'm not going to diminish any of those guys. Malik Rose was great, and there, there were other great ones as well, um, but... I think I speak for a lot of Sixers fans when I say that the partnership with you and Ala was just incredible and it's kind of synonymous with this last era of Sixers basketball. And it just seemed like you guys were having a lot of fun calling the games, not not as fans because you guys are professionals calling the games, but you're right there with us and you're just a commentary track to, for us to follow the games with. How fast did you know um, with Ala that it was going to be so seamless and that you guys were going to fit together so well? And what makes Ala, what made Ala such a great um, partner for you? I remember when Ala auditioned and we had a brief time to speak afterwards and he was just so warm and friendly and gregarious. And it was pretty clear that he knew the game and was the type of guy that he was ready to you know, I, I guess mold himself to me, knowing that I had been there for a long time and was just eager to be on the air with me and see how I operated so that he could compliment me. Little did he perhaps realize at the time that I was of the same head and that I wanted to be able to accommodate him. And so when you have two guys who try to blend in with the team and not dominate, you have the fertile ground for the making of a really good relationship. And then, of course, we travel together. And I will always say to this day, as much as I loved the opportunity to watch a game with him because he was knowledgeable, affable, and we subsequently had good chemistry, my best times with him were on the plane after the game or in the hotel or, you know, uh, just unplugging afterwards in some lobby somewhere, just talking about things other than basketball, whether it's politics or history. You know, Allah went to Duke. And, you know, you can say what you want about athletes in college and uh, whatever. You, you, you don't graduate Duke. And believe me, his parents, that was the most important thing for them, not his college basketball career, but, you know, getting his degree. Um, he comes from a very smart family. He, he himself is very smart. And I'm not that smart. So I like hanging around with smart people and I, I know from my standpoint, that was the secret to my relationship with him. <laughs> well, you got a golden voice. Where do all the, like, zooisms come from? Like, you know, turning garbage into gold, hold on, fam. Like, are you just sitting in your car sometimes and boom, it comes <laughs> to you? 
do you practice in the mirror sometimes? I'm sure you practice in the mirror or you're just, you know, just sitting around talking to your wife or talking to your kids or talking to a friend. And it's just like, oh, that might be good. I might use that later. So I have a couple of things going for me. One, I spent 13 years as the halftime host. And during that time, I had to script and literally edit uh, hundreds of features. And I had to report in a number of other areas as well. And that constant writing, it's like any other rep that you get in any other discipline, helped me to become very comfortable with the uh, English language. So whether it was analogies or metaphors or similes or, or what have you, um, as I got more comfortable with writing, I was able to reach out and grab phrases that could describe a situation that weren't so literal. So when it came time to calling the game and having role models like Mike Emmerich, who could call a slap shot by 10 different phrases, um, I began to get comfortable. That and I'm ADD, and ADD mm. people are, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things I can't do. I can't, uh, I wouldn't be a good attorney or architect or scientist or anything like that. I'm an artist, you know, I create. And so when I would go off into my little creative world, you know, you were talking about sitting in my car or whatever, um, you know, some of these things would come up. Sometimes they were spontaneous. I remember the first time I said garbage into gold. It was an offensive rebound and put back by George Lynch in the Iverson era. And it just kind of came out, you know, alliterations when you're writing for broadcast um, are, are a good tool. So garbage into gold. Uh, it just became something that I started to repeat. And by the way, I trademarked it. So I have T-shirts <laughs> and sweatshirts that I sell, you know, to benefit charity. But uh, literally, if somebody started using it for some other purpose, I could ask them to cease and desist. All right. Well, make sure not to do that. Uh, you I could say it as many times as you want. I don't think I can stop <laughs> you from doing that. But you can't make a profit from it. Okay. I, th I think my... My personal favorite zooism, and I think it's with garbage into gold right there. I think it's the most famous one is the hold on, we're coming for a landing. And you obviously added the hold on, Allah, we're coming for a landing. Um, did you, did Kate Scott have to ask you for permission to, to use that nowadays? Uh, you, he, she better be, she better be dishing out some, some checks for you. Oh, no. Oh, it, <laughs> um, by the way, um, so I'm going to answer your question very quickly and say, you know, Kate, um, I guess was offering an homage, which I greatly appreciate. But let me just say a few things about Kate. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet her on several occasions, and I knew her before she got the job. And she's just, an, first of all, she's an awesome human being. And all she wants to do is become Philly. <laughs> Unfortunately for her, only time can do that. It's like anything else. It's like, um, I don't know, you know, you, 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 you buy a, Maybe this is a bad example, but you, bu you buy produce at the market and it's not quite ripe. So the only thing that's going to solve that is time. It's, it's she tweeted out her first Wawa hoagie yesterday, which is good. I, I saw that and <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't necessarily eat the hoagie the way she had it. But um, <laughs> these are things that she's got to acquire. And she's in fact, I told her I had a lunch with her and I said to her, um, the best way you can endear yourself to Sixers fans is to love them and love their team. And she's not from here. She can't change that. But as she goes around and she meets people and experiences our way of life and our culture and 
you know, maybe goes to an Eagles game or has another Wawa hoagie or something like that, uh, she'll begin to get it. And as she experiences more of that and fans become more accustomed to her and, and her unique phrases and the way she calls the game, um, you know, I'll kind of slide out of the way. And, and I, I would hope that she would be the Sixers voice for years to come. Did you have to deal with that? I did to an extent. And listen, I I was the halftime guy for 13 years, but when you, when you become the voice of a team, it's uh, it elevates you to a much different position. And there were a lot of people who loved my predecessors, uh, you know, Neil Funk, Jim Barniak, and they weren't used to me. And that's one thing in Philly that we like is we like what we like. And so, um, you know, the things that we're used to, the things we're accustomed to, Eagles fans love Merrill Reese. Flyers fans love Jim Jackson. Uh, Philly fans love Tom McCarthy. Lo- they love Scott Fransky because these are guys who now have become identifiable voices for their teams. And all, ska- all Kate needs now, I think, is some time, and, and hopefully she will be endeared like the rest of those people. Going off of that, because it is, like you said, it is about Philly. We're, we're a very specific fan base. We're not the easiest fan base, I'm sure, um, to be an announcer for. Uh, I'm sure that, especially a new one that's not from here, I'm sure that it is a tough task. And going off of that kind of question about the fan base, and I'm sure we wouldn't change it. We were a very passionate fan base, sometimes to a fault. Um, but it's something that I kind of you mentioned Ben Simmons earlier and something that kind of jogged my mind when I was thinking about this today, you look at the Sixers uh, the last couple of years, and then you compare it to a team like the Utah jazz, the the Utah jazz haven't, they've also had similar regular season success, but they haven't been able to get over that hump. Like this similar to the Sixers, not being able to get over that hump to the conference finals or to the finals. But it seems like the jazz fans and, and the national media, even with how they treat the jazz, they're happy with what the jazz are. And uh, you know, they're a contender in name only kind of a step behind those real contenders. But with Philly, when we, when we can't reach that next hump, everything needs to you know change. We need to trade Ben Simmons. We need to fire someone, whether that be Brett Brown or whoever, we need to always make changes. And we're always striving so hard for a championship that maybe we're not enjoying the wins mm-hmm. along the way. If they don't equal a championship, do you, and that's, that, that, that is a problem. Is that something that you would change with this fan base or is that something you understand as a Philly guy or kind of what's your, what's your opinion on that? Yes. I, I would take the latter and say that I totally understand it. I know that in Philly, we feel like there are things that are typical Philly. Like we trade a guy and he goes to play somewhere else and he gets good or we draft a guy and it turns out that we should have taken, you know, the guy who was picked after him, that kind of thing. I don't think that, I think that we're more passionate than most fan bases, if not all fan bases, because I have traveled around and I've gotten an idea, but I think all fans feel the same way to an extent. Um, You know, there are some fan bases that have some extraordinary success like the Lakers and the Celtics and you talked about the Utah Jazz. They've never won an NBA title. So, um, and by the way, they're extremely passionate to the point where, you know, unless you talk about their MLS team, uh, they have no other high-level representatives in the major sports, NFL or NHL for that matter, or, or Major League Baseball. And so you might even say, as passionate as Sixers fans are, and believe me, they are passionate, um, 
that that's it's it's 365 for jazz fans because it's either jazz season or it's not jazz season yeah they have a minor league baseball team but it's a minor league baseball team so um fan passion is something that quite frankly on any level even if it's dissatisfaction i'm personally thankful for because if fans weren't passionate if they didn't care then my position as the voice of a team would not have been that important. So for those of us who work in sports, um, we're, we're happy that fans are passionate. And even if it's a negative thing where they're unhappy, at least they care. And I think that's the main thing. Do you ever get that itch again? You know, you talk about passion, you ever get that itch? You know, you walk by a playground, see someone playing some ball yeah, no. on the bleachers? Nah. No, um, I, I, I'm really happy with the decision that I made. I will tell you that I miss my coworkers, whether it's Allah, the people who are visible, and you know Serena Winters, who of course isn't working for us anymore, but um, you know she's become a, a wonderful friend of mine. But people behind the scenes, whether it's Cher Aquila or Mike Harmon or Josh Schrager, who were there every day as producer, director, and associate producer, respectively, those are those are people who I miss. Greet meeting and greeting the fans, uh, people I worked with at the Sixers from the ownership on down were just terrific people to deal with and made what it is that I did uh, that much more pleasurable. But uh, there are other sides of life. And, you know, it's like anything else. When you're involved in something and you give your heart and soul to it, uh, you're surrounded by it to the point where you become a little bit myopic. So here's the Sixers and here's my world. And then, you know, what's beyond it? It's like, I, I remember there was a poster uh, that was popular, I think, in the 70s and 80s. And, and it would be like a, a Philadelphian's view of the world. And then there were, it would be Philadelphia, the Delaware River, New Jersey, Atlantic, you know, the Atlantic Ocean, China. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like you're in Philly and that's really how you view the world. So when you work in the NBA, right, and you work for the Sixers, that's really kind of all you see. But now that I'm outside of it, yeah, the Sixers are still a very important part of my life. But you, know, you would mention music lessons or travel or a foreign language or, uh, you know, history. I'm reading the New York Times now every Sunday, cover to cover. That's th those are worlds now that are open to me that have not that were not open previously because I was so devoted to my job. And uh, it gives you a different perspective on life, which I'm quite frankly, really enjoying. Before we get you out of here, favorite call of all time? I get, I, I feel like I get asked that question almost every day. Okay. And Least favorite call of all time. Yeah. You know what? Well, you see, so I was saying to somebody yesterday, I was at the Eagles game and somebody asked me that. And, you know, there are, there are, as an artist, you're, uh, the joke is that you're always striving for perfection, but perfection's an illusion. You, you can never achieve that. And so, Artists are, are the bane of being an artist is you're never really happy. So you might think that you nailed something, a particular call or a moment or a game or something like that. And you can always like nitpick and say, eh, maybe if I did this or, you know, a little bit differently, I'd, I'd be more satisfied. But you're never really satisfied. And so I can't really pick a favorite call. I mean, you know, game winning shots, people, uh, you know, play things all the time. And you can certainly point to that. I can uh, point to a specific game, however, which... I think will always remain my my favorite. And uh, quite simply, it was the lockout year, 98-99. The Sixers had returned to the playoffs for the first time in eight years. 
they were a six seed. Orlando was a three seed. They split the first two games of their playoff series, and they came home for the first playoff game in their brand-new building. Then I think it was like the first Union Center, now Wells Fargo Center, of course. And uh, fans were beside themselves. They, I don't think they, they sat down the entire time. Allen Iverson had what is still an NBA record, 10 steals in the game. There were fights or close fights in that game. It was just a hot, passionate, emotional atmosphere. Sixers ended up winning the game. They, they won the series. And uh, for me, I, I think it'll always remain my, my favorite game ever to call in 27 years. That's awesome. Well, one quick question, because I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Joel Embiid, um, uh, the the face of this city in terms of sports, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I, I think that he is so almost universally beloved in a way that Philadelphia athletes don't get to be nowadays because of how um, you know polarizing it seems to be sports wise. Compared to the other stars that you covered um, with Philadelphia, whether that be Iverson or Barkley or anyone else that you want to throw in there. Where does Joel rank in terms of how how much this city is very much like in love with them? I, I think that you go to games and the way that player the way that people react to Joel as opposed to the other players on the team is, is just completely different. And what about him beyond like on the basketball court because you know him? What about him as a person kind of endears him to the Philadelphia crowd so much? So I'll take your question in two parts. First, um, and you guys will see this. When you get older, you have perspective and you have that many more experiences than the next guy. So, you know, you talked about Joel being the face of all sports in Philly. But, you know, as I compare him, as I think you requested of me to um, compare him to other Sixers, just, uh, you know, going back to Wilt Chamberlain. Now, you know, Wilt, I think in some ways uh, was vilified because people were expecting him to score 50 points every game. But um, I just remember him and how gigantic he was. But even more recently, if you could talk about Moses Malone, may he rest in peace, how he came and led the Sixers to the promised land. Julius Irving and how he was revered. Allen Iverson to this day when, you know, he'll walk into the arena when he's making an appearance and he's ready to w- watch the game. Uh, the, the game becomes secondary and people start to stand and, and applaud him as he, as he goes to his seat. Um, Joel has a, a similar kind of persona. He is great at what he does on the court. He doesn't mince words off the court, which I think we love because he is genuine and authentic. And uh, he has said that he wants to finish his career here, which means he loves us and he loves playing here. So those are the things I think that we look for as fans. Um, are you are you good at your job? Do you care about your job and do you care about us and the fact that we care so much about you? And I think he he touches all those areas. So um, I just hope because the window sometimes can be narrow that uh, the Sixers uh, could get to the finals and give him a shot at getting a ring because um, I think all Sixers fans, when they point to their desire for the Sixers to have a championship, they say, and I hope it happens while Embiid is here because we're, we're all big fans of his. All right. Well, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know this is a bucket list one for Mark. This is a great one for me. Before you, before you get out, Tottenham getting to the top four of the table? I'm a Tottenham fan. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I don't think I'm as ardent as you are. 
I will say that um, we had a chance to take three points from Liverpool and did not, which to me was disappointing. That, Mm -hmm. you know, if you could beat teams like that on your home ground, you're showing that you are a top four team. Uh, But I'm not unhappy with the way they played. I think it was a very entertaining game. And, uh, you know, I think Harry, by scoring, although he probably should have been red carded in that game, he, um, you know, I think he's getting his form back. Um, Sonny, to me, is, is he, he's, he's my favorite player nice, on the best. club. I, I, just, I just love his speed and, and, the, um, and the passion with which he plays. And speaking of passion, I think Conti is the, is the kind of coach that, you know, with his, as entertaining as the goal is, it's how he reacts, <clears throat> how he reacts to the goal where he's hugging his assistants and all the rest. So um, I think they're, they're in the market for a couple more players. I read a, a right back and perhaps a forward. Um, but, you know, Tottenham fans, and I'm a relatively new one, but I've got to see that the history of that team is such that they've had a lot of frustration. So, you know, it's, it's almost like being a Philadelphia sports fan, or at least a perception of a Philadelphia sports fan is that, yeah, there's been a lot of frustration, but you know, let's, um, let's see how they, how they go over these uh, next few weeks. It's going to be interesting. I was going to say, I'm shocked Kyle asked that and not the question that he really wants to ask. Are the Eagles making the playoffs since Jalen Hurts a franchise quarterback? <laughs> well, you know what? <clears throat> right now, because he's new, that, that kind of seems to waver. You know, there are people who are saying that Gardner Minshew should start. And I think after the first quarter last night, there were, you know, I was at the game. So it was the usual. All right. So you could just feel in the air. People are saying, all right, we've had it. We've had enough. One quarter's <laughs> enough to show me that uh, he's not the guy. Let's let's put it in Minshew because he played so well against the Jets. But um, those are haters, Mark. You understand those. Those are the uh, haters that no, get on no, you listen. on social media. Uh, uh, no, listen, I, I, I get it. I, I think. Uh, and plus, we're in an era now where everything comes instantly. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, you need toothpaste. You call Amazon; it's on your doorstep sometime mm-hmm. in the same day. Or you call GoPuff and you get it in the same day. So, um, I, 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 I'm hopeful. Okay, and I, and I think what what Nick Sirianni has done, and the fact that I'm even saying this, um, I'm disgusted with myself because I don't really know anything about football. I'm just a fan. But it seems like he was smart enough to uh, recognize Hertz's strengths and the strengths of his team and become a running team, which, of course, seems to go against the way the NFL is. It's like it's like in the NBA almost where you're you're, you're saying to yourself, all right, we're not a very good three point shooting team. So let's dump it down low, which doesn't really happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm hopeful. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how they do against the Giants on on a short week. But. Um, I think they're a better team than the Giants. And even with uh, five days instead of seven, I think they should be able to beat them. I agree 100%. That's the mark. That's the mark. Zoom off either kiss of death or playoff promise right there. I kind of love it. We'll see. We'll talk in three weeks. Come back to that after they win. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Have me on again and we'll discuss it. (laughs) We'll see what went wrong. Well, Mark, thanks so much, man. And enjoy retirement. Like we said, man, you were the voice of our childhood. 27 years strong. Um, and we really appreciate everything you did. And, you know, I appreciate you going out on top. And I appreciate what you guys are trying to do. I wish you all the best. And this is what I said before, where, you know, now the world is open to guys like you trying to carve out a niche and, uh, just stay with it guys. Don't, don't, uh, don't despair. It's, uh, there are growing pains, but once you achieve some measure of success, you can, you know, 
sit on your laurels for five minutes and say, I remember when we had Mark Zumoff on and we only had X subscribers and now we're big deals. So right. thank you for having That's me on. Promise. It was a pleasure to help you guys out. That's our promise to you. All right. Thanks to Mark Zumoff for coming on. Quick, Mark, favorite part of the interview. Uh, talking about Allah, partner. I mean, uh, that that partnership, I was searching uh, my tweets last night for at Mark Henry Jr. Zoomoff to see what I've tweeted about Zoomoff. And the first, the, the one that made me laugh the hardest was I tweeted, um, I think during a bad loss in April of this year, that even in the toughest of times, the partnership of Allah and Zoomoff warms my cold, dead heart. Because it does. It's true. We could use that this year to warm our cold, dead hearts against this team. Seriously. All right. Gambling picks. We went 3-0 two weeks ago. Come right back around, go 0-3. That's how life is sometimes. Knocks you down, got to get back up. So uh, I'll let you start. You go first. Um, I'll lead off with probably my least confident bet. I'll build up a little bit this time. I'll go with the over. It just got uh, impacted here. I'll go with the over in Rams-Vikings in LA, Minnesota. Um, You look at the Vikings before last game's abomination. Um, against the Chicago Bears. They had five straight games go over. Um, the last time these teams played in 2019, long time ago, basically irrelevant, 38-31, shootout. These teams have had shootouts before. They're playing in a dome in Minnesota. No Dalvin Cook with COVID, probably, maybe tests off. So that's not great for Minnesota's side. But uh, I think Matt Stafford and the Rams offense is out to prove that people were kind of writing them off a little too early. Um, they put up 37 on Jacksonville, 30 on Arizona, 28 on Green Bay. They only put up 20 on Seattle, but... Um, I, I think that they've shown they can score and Cooper Cup. I actually think people are trying to make a conversation about Jonathan Taylor's MVP chances. I think Cooper Cup is a more deserving MVP than Jonathan Taylor. I think what he does for that Rams offense is even more important than what Taylor does for that Colts offense. Mm, I don't know. Taylor protects against. It's a hot take. It's a hot Taylor take. protects against Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz deserves to give Jonathan Taylor a Rolex for Christmas. I hope he did. Um, I I don't know how you can't go Jaguars pick him. I mean, eighteen guys now on the COVID list for the New York Jets, including Rob Sala, who might get off. Bob might get off by the time the game is played Sunday. I mean, Elijah Moore. That's Zach Wilson's like favorite target. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker's out. There's like three quarterbacks that are out. There's like uh, two other wide receivers that are backups that are out. I mean, this is a this is a slap in the face to to Trevor Lawrence and and, and Daryl Daryl Bavell. You are addicted to betting on Jacksonville. And don't worry, I'm coming back around with the other team that I'm addicted to uh, by the end of this. <laughs> oh just, my god! Because you just you know you you just play to win the game. You play to win the game, and you just think like. <laughs> How do you come out so bad last week if you're the Jaguars after Urban gets fired? Like, you just come out, like, happy as hell, playing, you know, playing hard and everything. And to, to just have a uh, – just stink like that was just – was terrible. Go my, ahead. My bet of the week was going to be the Jets minus two if they were fully healthy just because I was so disgusted by Jacksonville's performance last week. You know, it's supposed to be the the dead coach bounce spot. Like, you, you fire a coach and you bounce yeah. back. Did not happen. And it Detroit's did not happen. Detroit's been doing it forever. Yeah, and it didn't happen against the worst possible opponent. Like, I think Houston's even worse than the Jets. We're, like, at least fully healthy. Um, so. Santa Con has ravaged New York. Right yeah. now, we uh, New York Giants and the Eagles are playing. But don't be surprised if Friday or Saturday comes out and we're we're looking like the Jets right now. By the way, I'm all in on them moving that game to Monday or Tuesday. I've decided. Dude, I've I've become addicted to Tuesday night football. Now that we <laughs> killed the curse of Joe Webb, like we waited one day. Now we have football again. 
and you can just it is so nice when the eagles are on night tv um because mm-hmm. you get to watch them and not yeah. be thinking about other stuff that's going on especially in the fantasy playoffs no, for people like me gambling nobody watched that ram seahawks game we talked about no, that no 70 no, of the country it happened yeah 70 percent of the country was getting eagles washington as they should ram seahawks what are you gonna do watch cooper cup mvp uh, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, uh, sticking in that AFC West uh, or the NFC West, I should say. We're talking about Cooper Cup there. Um, I'm going to go with Arizona. I'm going with the Cardinals money line versus the Indianapolis Colts Saturday night, mm. Christmas night. Well, mm-hmm. present under the tree for you guys here. This is just an ebb and flow bet. Everyone's going to be high on Indy after like that, that big win. And everyone's going to be low on Arizona after a couple tough losses. If we've seen anything this year in the NFL, it's that when we think we have something figured out, we probably don't. Um, so I, I still think Arizona is a slightly better team. I was working on my power rankings. I'm going to put them out today. Um, I think I had Arizona seventh and Indy eighth. So they're literally like right next to each other. Um, Arizona is getting their home here. So if I think they're the slightly better team, I I'm going to take a pick. I'm going to take the money line. Um, I would hold off and I actually, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you get another money line here. I don't think it's getting up to plus 30. Never mind. Scratch what I was going to say. Get in now. Cardinals money line. I'm doing it after this podcast and, and lock it in my bet. Hopefully Kyler doesn't get COVID. I'm going to go with a little bit of a a head-scratcher here. I like Giants plus 10. I think 10 points is a lot of points to cover by. I don't know what uh, Nick Sirianni and his his, uh, early coaching career is against being a double-digit favorite, but I don't think it's going to be good. And I like this Eagles team. I think this Eagles team is good. That Giants defense is sneaky, sneaky good. Adderay Jackson's coming back off the COVID list. Uh, You got the guy uh, who's who's the lineman, the defensive lineman, who's like really good, who just almost like, tore his shoulder, tore his elbow, and he's like, nah, I'm playing for the rest of the year. Not Dexter um, Lawrence. No, it's uh, they signed him Blank. from the Jets. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Always, I, I could tell you this guy. If we were not in this podcast right now, yeah. I could tell you this guy's the top of my head. Now that we're in the podcast, like my brain just goes, I'm looking it up. To mush. Giants plus 10. I, uh, you know, Eagles can still win, but they don't have to cover. I think Giants plus 10 is an easy, easy win uh, here. And uh, Eagles offense, good. Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams. There we go. Eagles offense good. I don't know if they're double-digit good. I agree, and I'm staying away from the Eagles team total over, which has been like a staple in these uh, in these final three picks. I've given that a ton. Um, I'm staying away from the game. I'm staying away from the Eagles team total. Staying away from the spread. I, I think the Eagles win, um, but like you said, I think this Giants defense is underrated, and I don't think a lot of people are paying attention. Um, at, at the, they've kept some good teams down uh, to low-scoring games. Unless this is just a Jalen Hurts revenge game, and he's just stepping on the throats of uh, of the Giants. I, I actually... I kind of love Jake Fromm in this in this spot. I am a big yeah. Mike Glennon guy. I want to see him be the all-time 2013 NFL draft, uh, the greatest passer from the 2013 NFL draft. But how do you not go Jake Fromm and recreate the 2018 national championship game? Dude, Jay, there's no way Jake Fromm's worse than Mike Lennon. There's no way. No way. He can't be. He literally can't be worse than Mike Lennon. He knows sixty so, percent of the of the playbook last week, so he's got to be up to what 85, 90 maybe. Uh, he's a fast learner. He's Jake Fromm, or he's Jake from State Fromm. Yeah, Georgia. So, yeah, it's Ivy yeah. League of the South. But he he spinned the ball. Remember that he spun he spun the ball in the national championship game that was or really something. Cool. I thought he was going to be the first pick. He was the number one overall pick if he would have left college, which he wasn't allowed to leave college. But if he would have left college, he would have been the number one overall pick. Didn't he have really bad tweets too? Wasn't that part of his? Probably uh, that I seems about the time where we always went to people's tweets and stuff. Yeah, I think he I think he had bad tweets leading up to the draft that hurt him and would have made him instead of being like a fourth rounder, I think he was like a seventh or something. So like that's the thing. Like nowadays, if you have like bad tweets, I don't feel bad for you because we've been in this for at least five to ten years now. You just gotta be more kiss and titties and less like uh I think, you know, 
uh, people don't deserve rights. Uh, it should <laughs> it should be more yeah, kissing titties and stuff. But back then, you know what? Rap lyrics. I, I might have tweeted a rap lyric or two, you know, back in the day. Um, but nowadays, if you get caught with bad tweets, that's just on you. That's on you, man. I've I've done the searches for my own name with like words Have you don't to. with words you don't hope you hope you didn't do. I haven't found one that I've been like, ooh, that's really bad, and I'd be canceled. I, I found some. I found some that are like, ooh, that's embarrassing, and you should delete that because it's just a weird thing to tweet. But I've never like, I've never never found any anything that would get me canceled. But you know, I'm in constant fear of of being canceled. Um, so so my last pick here is an ode to Martin J. Mush. Uh, it's an ode to to Marty Mush from Barstool. I ain't no fraud. I ain't no fraud. I said it three four weeks ago on Monday Night Football. Pat's Bills. The Pats, I've been saying for three months the Pats are a Super Bowl contender. I've been saying for three months that the Pats are better than the Bills and the Bills have legitimate things to be concerned about. And you look at last week. The Bills get a blowout win against Carolina. The Pats, they uh, you know, they lose to Indy. They get down big early. They did show some fight, I, I think, to get back in that game. Uh, but they get down big early, and I think they got – written off a little bit this week i think people are taking them a lot less seriously it's a lot more oh mac jones is a rookie conversation one loss i ain't scared they lost in indianapolis it's a good team it's not a bad loss and it's and buffalo didn't beat carolina in a way that i was like oh what a blowout buffalo looked incredible it's a 10 point game in the fourth quarter with carolina like in buffalo's territory so i didn't walk away from last week feeling any differently about the afcs i still like new england to wrap it up i still like new england minus two in this game um they were able to win in buffalo i know the home field doesn't matter as much anymore foxborough still matters new england still matters it's still tough to go into foxborough and get a win against bill belichick patriots minus two i love that uh houston texans chargers <laughs> Oh, it's not the Texans? Uh, under okay, under 46. Okay, okay. Under 46. Under 46. Under 46. I, the, the, the Texans aren't scoring. The Texans are not scoring this game. I can't believe the under is 46. It's going to be 35-7, to 7, maybe. That's as close as you're going to get. If you have to rely on the Texans, the Texans, to score you 14 points in for the hit over, I'll take this every time. I will say, I might be in on Davis Mills. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Davis Mills... Davis Mills might be the guy in Houston. They might not have to take crazy. And it, like he looks pretty good. He looks decent to me. Yeah, I mean Dave Coley's gonna lose his job. I mean, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a, a ten different offensive coordinators that are, are gonna be vying for jobs. I don't know if any of them are gonna take Texas Houston's. I don't know if anyone wants to work with that GM or that crazy pastor over there. Um, I think you just called I think you just called the Houston Texans the Texas Houston's. <laughs> I might have. Who cares? Um, as long as the under hits, I don't care. Um, yeah, I just don't see Davis Mills being able to put up twenty points on uh, on the on the Chargers here. I don't. I, this game is. Uh, I don't know what time it is. It might be four o'clock game. Um, this game is not going to be on on red zone. Oh, one o'clock. This game will be no over by three forty-five. If it was four o'clock, they. If it was four o'clock, they'd have to begrudgingly put it on on red zone because there's mm-hmm. not a lot of games and all the games are at commercial. One o'clock, you're not seeing yeah. this game. You're, you're, yeah, this is getting like 15 second hits. Like, oh, by the way, like Eckler just got COVID. Off he did get Eckler. COVID. I love the under even more. Fuck, I totally forgot about it. Did you see Eckler um, say, hey, thanks for all the warm wishes and everything? And then Jalen Ramsey got COVID. He's like, don't fucking call me. <laughs> I kind of like Jalen Ramsey. I'm at the he's point where I like, he's awesome. Like, he's so good. It, like, if I, you're I, authentic, I and you are the way you are. I love you all the time. You know, Bosa, 
I like him. I don't agree with him all the time, but I like him. He's authentic. He's you know no you comment. Need your, you need your mega end, Aiden Hutchinson. He's going to be the next great mega end from the Big Ten. Yeah, maybe that's why I like I like the black DNs more. I like Chase Young. I like I like Kayvon Thibodeau. Hey, I'm in on George Karloftis. I'm sure he's got bad tweets. Yeah, yeah, but hey, we don't feel bad for them if they have bad tweets. It now no, no, you got to no, scrub. You got to scrub it. You got to scrub it. You know, if you were if you were an athlete before 2017, 2019, I'll go as far as that. All right. Do you know who beat that? You know who beat getting canceled for bad tweets? Josh Allen. Josh Allen had bad tweets that came out on draft night. And then he had to apologize. His first, like, he got drafted. And then Susie Colbert, whoever the fuck, is interviewing him. They're like, people were upset about your tweets, Josh. Uh, really? Said the, you just had the biggest moment of your life. Like, how, how do you feel? And he's like, uh, I'm sorry. Like, And it was like a bad answer, I remember. And he did not do a good job. People don't remember that at all. But, but ESPN's allowed to put out like Jamar Chase's mom had like was like a, a crackhead up until he was like seven years old and uh, she beat it though. Remember you? Remember yeah. they did those graphics? The last couple of years they've went heavy on the. No, it was T Higgins' mom. The, sorry, it was T Higgins' mom. Didn't they do a separate broadcast this year that was like supposed to be more like that shit? Like, didn't they do like one breakdown broadcast? Like, really? With and then like one like personal interest almost like broadcast where it's just like the picks and you like talk about the people like, am i wrong didn't that happen I, I don't know i know they had two broadcasts they had one on abc and they had one on espn yeah i think um, that's what it, i think that's what it was that was wild like hey what's the worst thing that's happened to your life we're gonna put it on this graphic when you're when you're having the happiest day of your life yeah team higgins's mom like overcame like crack addiction and they like put that, it on the graphic and they're like what the fuck is going on that was the covid year right that was 2020 when we yes. that when I think yeah. that was ESPN went all in on that shit because they were like, we don't have any fans. We don't have any of the cool draft stuff. We have to make people fucking cry. Like, we want these yeah. people crying their fucking eyes out. I remember my girlfriend watched that draft with me, like, or at least like part of it. And she was like, Jesus, this is so sad. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not happy. No, no. Anything else? No. What were your, your picks were Giants, Jags, and uh, Texans Chargers under? Yep. And I had the cards, pats, and the over in Rams Vikings. All right. When we go back next week and we're like, hey, what what'd you do last week? How'd you go last week? And we try to find the uh the records. Now that you just said at the end, that'll be easier than us going through every pick. Absolutely. Low behind the scenes. Did that. We definitely did that right before we came on here. I or played the last po- the last Friday's yeah. podcast into the mic. So Kyle and I yeah. Mark's nine games up on me. So uh well, we'll see. Uh, that's the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, follow on Twitter. Follow on Instagram. Follow Mark J. Henry underscore or Mark Henry Mark, Jr. underscore. Mark Henry Jr. underscore, yeah. Mark Henry Jr. Jesus Christ. And I'm at Kyle's Fine, I, P-H-I-N-E. A J in my in the middle of my name would be strong. Mark J. Henry. The J is for the J is for Mark John Henry. That'd be a, that'd be a J. That'd be a strong name for my uh, for my brand. Unfortunately, not the case. You would have Mark Henry, the world's strongest man in the world, and then you'd have John Henry, who I'm pretty sure is that guy who took that pickaxe through the mountain, and then he got Pocahontas. away from the mountain. Oh, uh, that's I think probably that's not John good. Henry. Yeah, uh, no, can't no, that's John good. Smith. Oh, uh, you're right, John Smith. Yeah, I that's think John Henry exactly right. took a pickaxe through a mountain, got all the way through, and then his heart exploded and he died. Nice. Yeah. Could be warm blooded, red blooded American male. Yeah. Um. All right. That's the podcast. Bye. <laughs>